Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. This is Inside Purple and Gold. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani, as always, alongside Tom Schreier. Today's a special day, Monday morning. Um, Tom's running on fumes after covering that Wolves game last night. But luckily for us, we don't have to do much talking today. We have our resident draft expert, the Locked On Minnesota Sports Network, Luke Inman. Uh, That's on Twitter, Luke underscore Spinman. Luke, thank you so much for joining us today. Me and Tom have been trying to talk about prospects for the last month, and we just honestly don't know that much about it. So <laughs> we're happy happy to have you on. Um, we don't have to pretend like we know about this draft coming up. Well, well, you're setting the bar super low for you guys, and you're setting the bar super high for me. I think we need to meet somewhere in the middle here because I, I think you're downplaying it. If you've looked at any mock drafts at all over the past two, three months, I think you can speak to some of these guys in this class. Honestly, guys, too, before we get too deep in the weeds, this class just in general, I think, isn't as strong as some other classes, too. And just knowing that the Vikings don't have a ton of ammo, obviously. In fact, I think bottom three, once you add up and get into the analytics of actual draft worth with those picks or lack thereof, um, it's going to be very interesting. And I'm just glad it's finally here, done so much research and digging on this class glad it's finally here christmas is almost here for me guys for sure luke uh, yeah you're right it comes it's three days away now i guess four um because we got to count thursday because it doesn't happen until thursday night uh but it is almost here a lot of the chatter as always with this team it, it always seems to go back to kirk cousins it always seems to go back to the quarterback position um i know tom has some questions about you know the team as a whole maybe it makes sense to try and trade back deep in your roster um find pieces on defense but let's just start with the quarterback position who is a realistic option at 23 where how high do you think the vikings would have to move up if they want to get someone that you like and 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 how would you kind of evaluate this quarterback class as a whole outside of you know the two guys that they probably don't have a chance at yeah i think i mean great question i think Even just taking a quick step back here first, looking at the big picture, what Kwesi actually inherited here, people may be quick to forget like this thing was an absolute mess thanks to Rick Spielman. And maybe I'm in the minority, but I was a big Spielman advocate. I thought he brought a lot to the table as far as just team building and team evaluation from that kind of lens. He had some great drafts in the past. He made some great moves earlier in his tenure. But it's just so clear now when you're looking back 
the decisions that he made, this guy was just clinging on to his job and doing everything he could to stay competitive and win no matter what those last final few years, even if it meant mortgaging the future for the next mm-hmm. guy. And that's why there's something to be said, I think, about just job security for some of these you know, GMs in the NFL because when they feel that not tightening a little bit and the patience dwindling a little bit from these owners, that's when you see some moves made that help you stay competitive in the now, in the short term, but it comes at the expense of the long-term plan. And so Quasey walks in here his first day. The cap's an absolute mess. He had to make some tough decisions on, you know, Adam Thielen, Harrison Smith, Hunter. Uh, He let Anthony Barr walk. He replaces him with Jordan Hicks. But because they decided to stay competitive last year, and I mean, hey, it worked, right? They won 13 games. But now he's still dealing with the cap mess. He hasn't really cleaned up yet. And I think he understands the blueprint in the NFL now. It's going to be really difficult, if not impossible, to keep rolling with Kirk Cousins' contract year after year if he ever wants to get out from under this cap mess and just be able to build a competitive team around the quarterback position. And plus, let's not forget, be able to extend guys like Justin Jefferson and Christian Derrissaw, TJ Hawkinson, and so on. And that's why now I think you're seeing this offseason now, like, the tough decisions to let Thielen walk and Kendricks walk, not extend cousins again, not because he doesn't think these guys are all good football players, but because, you know, this was the hand that he was dealt from that previous regime. And now you're seeing him, I think in year two, do everything he can to kind of hit the reset button once and for all. And I think he's actually done a really good job setting up the whole thing for actually 2024 and beyond. In fact, I think, latest projections that I saw a few weeks ago, they might be in top 10 as far as cap money goes next offseason, pending on what happens with Kirk Cousins. So he's not out of the woods yet. I think this is the year he kind of swallows some of these tough pills, though, and kind of takes it on the chin. They're dead last in cap space as it stands. Even today, they've got the third lowest draft capital in the league, like I mentioned, with no second. They're missing a day three pick as well. The, The first round pick is at the bottom half of the order. So it's I just think it's a really volatile offseason where we're in right now. And I think Quasey understands that it's necessary to get to where he wants to go in year three, year four, year five, and kind of build this Super Bowl window. Now, I think, you know, when it comes to the Vikings specifically at 23, it's just so crystal clear, guys, that if you hit on a quarterback in the draft, you get to pay him that rookie salary for five years. It's such a huge advantage as opposed to paying, again, a a slightly above average quarterback, but maybe not elite like Kirk Cousins, uh, Derek Carr, Jared Goff, Daniel Jones just got the bag. What, he get 40 million, if not even more this season. So, um, you know, being able to save all that extra money now as a GM. I got money to play with. I can build a championship team around that quarterback. Now I can pay JJ and Darisaw and TJ Hawkinson. I can get a few extra toys in free agency, just for example, and I can build hopefully that Super Bowl window, get hot and go on a little run. Obviously easier said than done. I get that. There's plenty of positives that Kirk Cousin brings to the table for one. Nobody talks about that. That guy doesn't miss games. The durability and just consistency week in and week out I don't think you can put a price on that. So that's huge. But we also know he's a guy who he kind of needs this surroundings to look almost perfect at times for him to play up to this championship kind of Super Bowl level. And if I'm paying you $40 million every year, 
do I have money to, to build that ideal surroundings you need unless I hit on pretty much every one of my draft picks, which just, you know, that's just not very realistic. So you're sitting at 23, unless you trade up for one of the big four, uh, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. I think they're all going to be off the board, honestly, which is why I think a guy like Hendon Hooker makes a lot of sense just logistically where they're picking. And I know a lot of people are split on him. And, you know, I, I get it. He's coming off the ACL tear. He's a little bit older than most guys coming out. To be honest, about those two things, I don't really care that much, as much as some people. Whoever you draft is going to sit behind Kirk for a year anyways. So that works out great for the ACL. No need to rush him back. And as far as the age thing goes, I mean, these quarterbacks now, they're playing into their late 30s anyways. So if I can tell you, you you're going to get 12, 13 good years out of this new quarterback, I think most people are going to say yes to that scenario 10 out of 10 times. I mean, are you concerned about the system he played in? Like the, the Tennessee system is different. Yeah, no, I know that that's always the go-to for sure. And I, I just think, yes, for sure. Is it a gimmicky offense on paper? Absolutely. Uh, I agree with that entirely. A lot of one route reads, for example, you watch some tape. I was watching some tape of the two wide receivers uh, who are highly coveted prospects. Jalen Hyatt, maybe a first round guy. Cedric Tillman, his teammate, probably a day two guy, but two really good receivers. You watch some of their tape. 30% of the plays, they're not even running routes. They're just a decoy. But I think from just a quarterback evaluation standpoint, you still got to go out there and do it. You still got to go out there and make these throws against the guys that you're going to be playing in the NFL on Sundays. And, and I think Josh Heupel's offense asks for a lot more from his quarterbacks than people think. And, you know, you look back at some of the Hedden and Hooker's games, that dude threw five touchdowns against the number one defense in the country. I mean, he shredded Nick Saban, the best defensive mind in the nation for four quarters with about, you know, that defense has about four or five all consensus, all Americans, including Will Anderson, who if you go back and watch that tape, Will Anderson was in Hendon Hooker's lap almost every other drop back. And so he still got the job done. 58 to five touchdown to interception ratio in the SEC. Like if he was doing it in the Mac conference, uh, you know what I'm saying? Or, or, you know, a D2 school. Totally. I get it. This is the SEC. And he was the Heisman front runner too, before he tore his ACL. I just don't think that's a day three kind of guy. I think just given where the Vikings are at picking at 23 options are limited. You either kind of have to give up a King's ransom, move up into the top 10, or you just kind of play your cards as they are, play what you got dealt. And I think Hendon Hooker should still be there. There is a little gauntlet and some rumors. I was talking to Jeff Risden, a Lions insider. He thinks uh, Detroit at 18 might be a, a very plausible option for Hendon Hooker as well. So he may not even be there. But I think the fact because of the age, because of the ACL, I think you're lucky to even be talking about him in this range anyways, in this vicinity. And the other thing, too, nobody really talks about, maybe it's because of the ACL. He can run. He's far more athletic than people mm -hmm. want to talk about, too. Again, I don't know if it's just because of the ACL. Uh, people are kind of taking that part of his game out of the equation now. But ACL tears, I mean, yeah, it's not nothing, but it's not what they used to be 20 years ago either. 
some of those guys come back even stronger now. So once he's healthy and back on the field, I think people are going to be impressed with how well he can create with his legs, which is just kind of a bonus too. So yeah, you got to worry about teams like Detroit at 18. They brought him in for a team interview. I'm hearing a lot of chatter about that connection, just connecting some dots. You got Tampa Bay at 19, Seattle at 20 with their second pick. Or what if, you know, there's some wild card scenarios here, and this is what makes the draft so fun. What if the Ravens end up trading Lamar Jackson? I mean, they're picking right before you at 22. So I just think you're in the danger zone there right before you get on the clock. And the last thing, and I kind of want your guys' opinion on this too, if the plan is to be competitive again next season, which it is, you brought back Kirk, you bring in Brian Flores, et cetera. Say you win seven, eight, nine games again, which they will. You'll be in the exact same position next draft where no one super special is just going to fall in your lap in the late teens, early 20s. So now, again, you're going to have to trade up inside the top five. And for who? The third or fourth best quarterback again? Because Caleb Williams from USC, Heisman winner, Drake May from North Carolina, forbidding something fluky happens are both going to go number one and number two, bang, bang. They're that good. So they're long gone. They're not even an option. So I, I just think it's going to be really tough, um, again, to get one of the top three or four quarterbacks this year, but also next year, too. So eventually, I think Quasey's just got to bite the bullet. Who does KOC love is the big question. See, I mean, if you're – I think the question is, right, you can maybe get the Arizona pick, right? But that's literally like you're not drafting. I mean, you have to be convinced right. that the draft is as bad as you kind of said at the beginning here. Um, also, Brian Flores probably goes somewhere with like a six-round safety. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, he's going like, to he's gonna walk into OTAs and look around and go on. <laughs> who? Oh, Kendrickson's got – oh, okay. What's this guy saying? That's my starting nickel corner? What's going on? <laughs> I mean, uh, the other thing is – I place a call to Houston. Like, I don't know what Houston's doing. Like, isn't the Patriots chaplain or something running that team? Like, dude, <laughs> yeah, it, it's wild, man. And Houston has so much ammo too. I just don't get it. If they if they had one great draft, especially with all this ammo, you look what Seattle did last year. Yeah. Killed the draft. The New York Jets crushed their draft. And you look at the NFL now. There's such parity. And with one good offseason, any team can go from worst to first. And I just think, yeah, Houston maybe is more than a year away. I get that for sure. But one great draft with all these early picks, man, they can make some huge strides. I think, especially as we get, this happens every year, about a week, two weeks before the draft, a lot of smoke starts to come out. As what you're kind of referring to, what, now you're not going to take a quarterback at two? What are you, nuts? I think – there's a lot of Will Levis chatter going on now that, that they all of a sudden like maybe Will Levis more than CJ Stroud, if they are going to take a quarterback at two, I think it's been long known that Chris Ballard and the Indianapolis Colts really like Will Levis. I think that's always kind of been their guy at that range with number four. Mm -hmm. And being that the Texans are in the same division as the Colts, I think there's a little cat and mouse game going on that all of a sudden a week before the draft, all of a sudden the Texans like Will Levis. And I think, they're going to try to force Chris Ballard's hand and make maybe make them swap picks or give up some extra picks or, you know, try to force their hand to some degree. But that's at this point, like all the tapes been watched for weeks, you know, team interviews have been done, things like that. Most teams boards and rankings, unless something fluky happens, you know, off the field or something, you know, an incident or something like that, these boards aren't changing. So I think a week before the draft, as we're seeing now kind of play out with this whole Houston Texans thing, I still think they end up taking C.J. Stroud at the end of the day. And I think somebody 
as you mentioned with Arizona, somebody, uh, you know, all these teams look around and go, all right, who's going to trade up for Anthony Richardson? Somebody trades up with Arizona who's far away from just one pick as much as Will Anderson would help them or Jalen Carter. They're so far away from just one guy being competitive again. They need to trade down. If they don't, I think that's a, uh, a huge flub on their part and that new GM and that kind of new front office that they're working with. But I think it goes Bryce Young. I think it goes C.J. Stroud. And then I think the cleanest trade would be Indy trading up to three with Arizona, to be honest, because then Arizona still gets Will Anderson. Uh, they don't have to move back too far. They can move back again if they want, if the phone's mm-hmm. still ringing. But the Colts guarantee they either get Will Levis, who it's just my intuition, I think, is their guy, or Anthony Richardson. But, guys, we've seen three quarterbacks go one, two, three, bang, bang, bang before. I mean, three, four times in the history of the draft. 2018 was the last time. Um, but we've never seen four quarterbacks go in a row. And I think this year could set a new NFL draft record.